Awesome. Well, thank you, Ellie. Thanks, Harrison. Good to good to see you guys tonight. Um, great to be with you. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the campus minister with with RUF, and I just want to start by honestly thanking Eric, our intern, for covering for me last week so that I could get away for a, a much needed, much appreciated prayer retreat. So thank you very much, Eric. This semester in large group, you know, if you've been with us you know that we've been in this series called Why Church, where we've explored some of the common questions that we have about the church. Why is it important? Why should I be a part of it? And so far this semester, we've seen, and and the Bible has taught us, that we should love the church and be a part of the church because of Jesus, because of the truth. And last week, Eric preached on compassion, so because of compassion. And, And All this is to say that the church is where you encounter these things, where you encounter Jesus, encounter the truth, and encounter compassion. Well, tonight, our topic is generosity, and our passage is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And as we read and study this portion of God's word tonight, let's consider how it answers our why church questions with the response because generosity. In other words, the church is where we experience and where we are trained in generosity. So look with me at 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. I'll read it out loud for us, but would invite you, encourage you to follow along with me. This is God's word. The Apostle Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. 
Again, this is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, help us to pay attention to your word tonight. Pour out your spirit upon us that, that we might that we might see Jesus as more beautiful and believable. Holy Spirit, shine the light of your love and truth upon our hearts and lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by asking, have you ever wondered how ancient Rome went from being openly hostile to Christianity to making it the official faith of the Roman Empire in just a few short centuries? I mean, think about it. In the mid-first century, Emperor Nero was viciously persecuting the church. But by the mid-fourth century, Emperor Constantine was a Christian, promoting Christianity. How did this happen? The answer, at, at least in part, was the way that Christians went about life was beautifully unique, especially when it came to giving of their time and their resources. Listen to how early Christians were described in two letters written during really the infancy of the church. The first letter is, a, is written around 150 AD, and it's called the Epistle to Di, Diognetus. It's a mouthful. Uh, here's how this letter, this letter to Diognetus, describes Christians. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is foreign. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. They share their food, but not their wives. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are short of everything, yet they abound in everything. And also consider uh, this other letter written by the Emperor Julian, Roman Emperor Julian, around AD 360. Just, just for context, uh, Emperor Julian was actually really hostile toward Christianity. And he's writing this letter to the high priest of the Hellenic faith, the Greco-Roman faith, encouraging this high priest to imitate Christians in their generosity to strangers and the poor. Listen to what Emperor Julian writes about Christians. Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase Christianity? And he goes on to write, for it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Teach those of the Hellenic faith to contribute to public service of this sort. Against the backdrop of the moral and spiritual darkness of the Greco-Roman religion, the lives of early Christians were radiant. They, they valued all human life 
from, from babies and infants, you know, unwanted babies that the Romans would, you know, leave exposed on the mountaintops to strangers and foreigners. Not only that, they, they, they practiced hospitality, but not sexual immorality. They shared their food, but not their wives. And finally, they exhibited a beautiful, bold generosity, the likes of which the world had never seen before. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They not only support their poor, Julian you know, wrote, but are poor as well. The beauty of these Christian generosity is what contributed to the spread like, like wildfire of the Christian faith across the Roman Empire. And this is exactly where Paul begins in his teaching on generosity in 2 Corinthians 8 with an appeal to the example of the beautiful generosity of these Christians. So if you look with me at verses one through five, this is our first point tonight, the beauty of generosity. Paul starts by, by highlighting the lifestyle of these Christians living in Macedonia. And just for context, there's a famine going on in Jerusalem. And the church there in Jerusalem, which is primarily Jewish, uh, was being supported by the primary, primarily Gentile churches throughout Macedonia. And Paul's writing to encourage these Corinthians, these Christians in Corinth, to contribute to the relief effort, the relief of, in Jerusalem. So, so notice how Paul describes these Macedonian Christians. Look, look in particular at verse 2. Paul compares their generosity to this overflowing well. He says, you know, in, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And then in verse 3, Paul highlights, look, these Christians, they, they gave and they gave and they gave. And then in verse 4, he, he even highlights, like, look, they were begging to give. They were longing to participate in this relief effort. Uh, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, look, look at these Macedonians. Look at your neighbors to the north. Look at their sheer joy, the joy that they have in being generous to others. See how beautiful their generosity is. Won't you give to help your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? Imagine for a second what it would be like if Christians at Davidson were known first and foremost for our beautiful generosity. Imagine just walking around campus and overhearing a conversation between two other students and you, and you hear one of them say to the other, can, can you believe these Christians? Can you believe these folks in RUF or in Young Life or in FCA? They are just overflowing with generosity. They just give and give of their time and their energy and their stuff and they love it. They get joy from it. They like making sacrifices for each other and for people outside of their group. Imagine if the sheer beauty of our lives forced people to consider, maybe for the first time, or maybe forced people to reconsider anew 
the truth claims of Christianity. I mean, what if people were compelled to start asking us questions about Jesus, about our faith, because their physical, mental, relational, emotional needs were being met by generous Christians on Davidson's campus? I mean, how amazing would that be? And so at this point, I need to stop and, and say and ask, well, if biblical Christianity or and if biblical generosity, if it's so beautiful and attractive, if it's so compelling, what, what keeps us from being generous? What prevents us from being generous? And this brings us to our second point tonight, which is the barriers to generosity. Paul in this passage highlights two barriers in particular. The first barrier to generosity is simply our natural inclinations. So look in um, verses six and seven. There, uh, Paul urges Titus, his, his protege, to, to train Corinthians in generosity so that they might excel in it as they excel in all these other things, faith, speech, knowledge, knowledge earnestness, and love. Uh, and in verse 8, Paul, he again, puts the example of the Macedonians' generosity before the Corinthians. And, and so even there, implicit in, in these uh, instructions is this awareness that, look, like Christians need to be trained. They need to be instructed in generosity. They need to be given examples of generosity. It's not something that comes natural to us. It's not our default setting. And that's true, not just for Christians, but for any human being. Um, all of this underscores that fact. Uh, you know, by nature, we are inclined to look out for number one. You know, we're, we're inclined, inclined to hoard, not to give. Uh, we come out of the womb prepackaged with a your life for mine mentality and not a my life for yours mentality. This is why in the Old Testament, God gave his people laws about not harvesting all the way to the edges of their fields. They had to be reminded, like you and I need to be reminded, to, to maintain margins and to leave some of their crops uh, for the poor and the sojourner, for, for foreigners that were traveling through the land or living in their midst. Again, why this law about not gleaning, not, not harvesting to the edges? It's because the default setting of their hearts, like the default setting of our hearts, is to pay attention to our own needs and to overlook the needs of others. So all of that is the first barrier, just our our natural inclinations. We're inclined not to be generous. The second barrier that Paul highlights, the second barrier to generosity is fear. In particular, the fear that if we were to start living generously, we would be burdened and we would actually start to find ourselves lacking. So we're afraid of being burdened and of lacking. And you can just tell, like Paul anticipates these fears uh, in, in verses 12 and 13 where he says, and I'll paraphrase, he says, look, guys, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. I'm not asking you to go into debt, right? Uh, that's what he says in verse 12. 
And in verse 13, he says, like, nor am I trying to unfairly burden you so that others might prosper. Rather, Paul assures these Christians that in giving, they would have no lack. Look in verse 15. Paul goes on to quote this passage from the Old Testament, from from Exodus 16, to address their concerns over scarcity and lack. They thought, the Corinthians thought, that generosity was this zero-sum game. But Paul assures them, again, look, you're not going to have any lack. So these are the two main barriers to generosity, our natural inclinations on the one hand, and then on the other hand, our fear of not having enough, our fear of running out, our fear of being burdened and being lacking. We all smack up against these barriers to generosity, and we do so from a very young age. Just think about a young child and imagine that a parent, their parent, gives the child some ice cream. For instance, let's just imagine that it's a happy Sunday from Wits, okay? Um, What does this child instinctively do if after a minute or two of eating their happy Sunday, their parent leans in and asks them for a lick of their ice cream? What is, you know, what is their child's immediate response? If you've ever seen this happen, I have, they instinctively like recoil away from you and clutch their ice cream and they say, no, it's my ice cream. They're adamant. Why do they do this? Why does a four-year-old with tight red curls and uh, her mother's bright blue eyes treat you this way? It's because she's afraid that if she were to give you her ice cream, there wouldn't be enough left over for her to enjoy. Her natural inclination and instincts kick in and she fears running out of that which she really, that which she really wants. It's easy to see this in a child, but you and I act this way all the time. I mean, think about it. What rises up in your heart when you and a particularly forgetful friend arrive at Commons for lunch? You swipe in, but you notice that your friend is digging through his pockets. And then he looks up with those needy little eyes and he says, Hey, man. Can, can you swipe me in? What happens in that moment when you realize, man, this is like the third time this semester and you give up yet another you know, guest meal for your friend? My ice cream, right? Or how much joy rises up within you when you're up late cram- uh, cramming for an exam the next morning and your roommate comes home and her eyes are red because she's just been crying. And she says to you, hey, can we talk? I'd really, I really need to talk. And you know that if you say yes, you're committing to a long, maybe a difficult conversation and it'll most likely affect your grade on that test. My ice cream. Or think about when your coach asks you on really short notice to host an overnight recruit but you've already made plans to go out that particular night. 
to buy ice cream. These barriers to, to generosity, they're universal. Every human being, all of us experiences them because they have been with us ever since the fall, ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, ever since Adam and Eve believed the serpent's lie that God was holding out on them. And unless they looked out for themselves, unless they looked out for number one, they'd be missing out. This is why, again, Paul reminds the Corinthians, but, but he also reminds us of God's provision in verse 15. He's saying, look, just as God provided daily manna for his people when they were traveling through the desert from Egypt to Mount Sinai, he will take care of your daily needs. He has got you covered. He'll provide your daily bread. Then, then listen to what Paul says just a few verses later in chapter 9. Um, this is not, it's not in your PDF, but I'll read it for us. In chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says, Look, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then in verse 10, he says, he, referring to God, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving. To God. Again, the message here is God will take care of your needs, especially as you seek to be generous to others. He will overcome your barriers to generosity. And this brings us to our final point tonight, the balm of generosity. And really by that, I mean generosity really does have the power to heal the world. Have you ever heard the expression, hurt people hurt people? It's, it's I think in my experience, it's a true, it's a, it bears truth, hurt people hurt people. But I think equally true would be the expression, healed people heal people. And this is what Paul is getting at in verses nine through 11 of our chapter. He brings us, he brings the Corinthians and us back to the gospel. And he says, look, you have been healed by God's generosity towards you in Jesus Christ. Look, look, look what he says in, in verse nine. He says, you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then he goes out to emphasize in verses 10 and 11 that this benefits you. This, this is what changes your heart from the inside out. What Paul is saying is, can't you see how generous God has been toward you? How he has spared no expense in saving you, in redeeming you, in rescuing you, in adopting you into his family. 
when the generosity of the cross, what Jesus accomplished in going to the cross and leaving all the riches of heaven and taking on our sinful human flesh and taking on all of our fears and taking on all of our natural sinful inclinations to hoard and to, and to obsess over our, our stuff, our ice cream, my ice cream. When the generosity of the cross takes root in your heart, it completely transforms your life. It replaces the, the your life for mine mindset with the my life for yours mindset. And when you realize that your heavenly father didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, as, as Paul says in Romans 8, you will begin to wonder, well, then how will God not also with Jesus graciously give me all things? You, you'll start to have an increased confidence in God's ability to provide for you. And you'll start to realize if God is withholding something from me, if, if God is withholding something good from me, it can't be because he doesn't love me. It has to be because he does love me. Before we close, uh, I want to revisit the kid with the ice cream. You know, just sitting there clutching, clutching the, the wits frozen custard between their two you know, little toddler hands just worried, if I give any bit of this away, I will be miserable. Little does that kid know just how much ice cream their dad has access to. Like, like their brains can't fathom that, that their father has this like little plastic card in his back pocket that is connected through the internet to hundreds maybe even thousands of dollars, which if spent at wits would amount to gallons upon gallons of ice cream. They can't even fathom that their dad has that in store. Our heavenly father loves to see his children delight in giving. He loves a cheerful giver. He loves to bless his children as they practice beautiful generosity, as they strive to overcome these barriers to generosity and, and be so moved by the balm of generosity that they'd be willing to be a balm to others in their generous giving. Our Heavenly Father is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the God of abundance, not the God of scarcity. And he loves it when his children are open-handed with their money, with their time, with their gifts, with all their stuff. He loves it when they're open-handed because he delights to fill their hands. And that is not something he can do if his children are tight-fisted. If we're just clenched as hard as we can to our lives, to our stuff, to our schedules, to our friends, to our cars, to our clothes. So would you open up your hands 
and give generously to others, knowing that your heavenly father delights to give to you. He delights to take care of you. He delights to bless you. And the church is the place, the community, where we can gather together, be reminded of God's word, to be reminded of his generosity toward us. And it's the, the community where we can encourage one another to live lives of beautiful generosity. So won't you join us? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your love for us, your grace toward us in and through Jesus. Lord, would, would you bury your word deep in our hearts and renew us, uh, renew our minds? Would you rewire us and give us new and renewed inclinations that we might reflect your goodness and kindness through our generosity. Lord, help us to do this. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.